podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome, boys and girls, back to Brutal Nation. I am your host, Scott Alexander, and right across me is the one and the only, the beast from the... Midwest? That makes no sense, does it? <laughs> the best from the Midwest, damn it. No. I admire your, I, I admire your uh my confidence. Your confidence, yeah. You know what though? You can't call me a Sasquatch because there's no literal sightings of Sasquatches in the Midwest. That's why you argue you hid well, you you <laughs> blended in, you assimilated, and here we are today. Here we are today. <laughs> I saved you from the Smithsonian Institute. So first, let's do a little bit of business, and then we're going to tell you, because we have a special guest that's coming on the show, calling in today. Yeah. That is author Briar Mitchell, author of the book Serial Killers, Then and Now. Yes, that was just released and doing very well. Yeah, and she actually teased me with the book. She I know, me, I heard the introduction. I listened to it, too. Yeah, it sounds, oh my God, I can't wait for the audiobook version to come out, because I travel all the time. Right, I need to get the, I need to actually have the physical book. I cannot listen to an audiobook, because I don't, like, absorb it. I actually have to read it, and then I'll remember it and absorb what's going on. That makes sense, that makes yeah. sense. Because uh, if I hear it, I'll, my mind wanders. <laughs> so, here's the business that we got to do before we get into the call from Briar Mitchell. Uh, we have a brand new Etsy store that features yes. serial killers with our messed up sense of humor yes. on T-shirts. T-shirts, yeah. Um, there'll be a link in the description. Yes. Also, if you're on Facebook, look for Citizens of Brutal Nation. Yes, we launched those T-shirts too. Yeah. yeah. So if you're if you're on Facebook, join the page. It's a discussion group where we can discuss things. It links to the page. Um, yeah. It's it's outside of our normal Facebook page itself. That's where we right. Just post Join stuff. our group, and I mean, I I'll post the link on the on in the description of this episode on all of our future That's episodes. Right. Become too. a citizen of Brutal Nation. That's right. This is where you want to be anyway. Come on. That's right. We won't make you take any weird tests to become a citizen of Brutal Nation like you do to become an American citizen. Wait a minute. Hold on. Unless you are an Asian girl that's from Korea that can cook. That is not a weird test. That's just a requirement for you. (laughs) No, it's going to get weird. You know, we're going to put a poll. He's going to put a poll on there saying, are you Korean? Do you know how to cook? (laughs) (laughs) No, believe me. It's going to be a very, very peculiar, odd test. (laughs) Can you show up out of nowhere? <laughs> yes, exactly. Can I store you in the closet? Will you wear this this collar no, with a tag know, on it? you got to stop saying stuff like that when I'm taking a drink. <laughs> Just saying I'm going to have them chipped. <laughs> You're so bad. No, we did release. We did, you know, and next week is, I mean, this week is our grand opening. So um, watch out for different, like, ways on our group page to get discounts that are exclusive to our group. Right, exclusive yeah. to the citizens of Brutal Nation right. with great product codes, right. um, great discounts, uh, things like that. Because we're going right. to launch it in a big way. We are. We're trying to, you know, and yeah, because it's like not only is it going to be exclusive to the Brutal Nation group, the citizens of Brutal Nation group, it's also going to be exclusive to those who participate in the tasks. Yes. And they're simple tasks, really. If you can't you know? pass these tasks, you need a freaking helmet. Yeah. I can even pass them, and I need a helmet. He, he does, people. He does. <laughs> I'm half retarded on a good day. Yeah, but I'm, I'm looking forward, forward to the call from Briar. I'm really excited. About All right. Well, let's get right into the call. 
Dredge, good, good morning, morning. Briar. Or afternoon for you. <laughs> can you hear me okay? Because I've got these Bluetooth dealios. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we oh, can yeah. hear you. Yeah, we can, we can hear you fine. We're still getting used to our new call-in system, so it's... Uh, it's yeah. a little it's a little bizarre. <laughs> yeah. We have to we didn't realize that it was because of our system that we had to push one first. We thought it was the prison system. <laughs> From talking to Keith all the but time. No, it's our own. <laughs> so how's your morning going? My day's been going really good. How about you? Ah, not bad. And yeah, now she started good. snowing outside. Yeah. I need to move oh, well, then keep that away from me. No, 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 no. We're like a beautiful 75 degrees here today. Okay, now I'm it's mad. It's not sunny. <laughs> What's up, sunny? It's usually sunny, but it's a little overcast today. Oh, okay. But it's balmy and beautiful out there. Beautiful. Wow. Yeah, yeah no. That's good. So let's introduce you to all of our listeners. This is Briar Mitchell, she's the author of a new book that's out called Serial Killers, Then and Now, as well as some other books that I want to get into, because there's one in particular that you and I talked about that the title just jumped mm-hmm. out at me, and I have to listen to this book. Wasn't that about the shark? Yeah, it's called Big Ass Shark. Yeah. Oh, I that saw one. That. <laughs> I saw that on the list yep. of books that you had on your website. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> but you do a lot of like children's books and stuff, too, don't you? And like... Nate, like um, you know, not just true crime, but like nature and stuff like that, right? I do. I do. Okay. I like to write fiction. I like nonfiction. Okay. Um, I kind of bounce back and forth between subject matter a little bit because it keeps me interested and engaged. Right. And like many authors, I probably have three or four or more books in progress at any given time. Oh, I'm so sure. So when the research gets to be a little heady on some of the true crime stuff, then I, I go write about a shark. <laughs> a big ass shark. A big ass shark. <laughs> a big ass shark. Yeah. And this is what I was telling Scott. Okay, now I didn't come up with the book title. I I didn't, but I like it. You know, it's so funny. People recognize and remember that weird title. The yeah. Publisher did that, not me. Wow. <laughs> yeah, because I I saw that you you also write a lot of like environmentalist pieces too. You know, because did you have an expedition up to? Uh, Antarctica or the Arctic, you know, up north. <laughs> Down south. Way, way, way south. No, I've been oh. down to Antarctica a few times. Okay. Yeah, I'm from Canada, so I'm from I'm from the land of snow and ice. Right, right. Which they can they, they can keep it. I think Canada <laughs> is doing fabulous with the way they look after the snow and ice up there, so they yeah. should continue to do so. And down here in Florida, I'll just wave at them from time to time, and that will be perfect also. Yeah, as I'm flying over. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I totally get it, because, you know, I've been to Florida, and even though we were caught in a tropical storm, I'd preferred that over what we have sometimes here. (laughs) Yeah, the tropical storms. But I lived in, you know, Los Angeles for a long time as well, over 20 years. Wow. I was there during the Northridge quake. And oh, I was there okay. riot. I oh. went to sleep at night listening to gunfire and shoving wow. towels under my doors so all the smoke from all the fires wouldn't get in my house. It was wow. just way too much fun. Wow. Way too much fun. But um, the reason I was in Antarctica, the first time I went down, I was with the Air Force. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm basically retired now. I write full time. But for 43 years, I worked as an artist and okay. a writer. I worked for Warner Brothers, I worked for Universal, I worked for Johns Hopkins for years. My master's degree is in medical and biological illustration, 
okay. which led me into the truth crime genre because oh, yeah. I was hired by an author to work with him on his book about a firefight that took place between the FBI and two bad guys, bank robbers slash serial killers in Miami in 1986. That okay. was a huge project. It was a forensic analysis of the firefight. Every agent that graduates from the FBI gets a copy of the book. Wow. And uh, it was um, it was my introduction to being able to use my skills as an artist and a writer and researcher okay. to really get into some of these subject matters. And they I, they have to really interest me yeah. uh, in order for me to write about them. So, but who hasn't? I mean, who isn't interested and serial killers. Right, exactly. Because <laughs> even my mom, who's very conservative and kind of like, uh, I don't know how to put it, kind of innocent in a way, she goes, you know, I'm fascinated by true crime. I just don't really listen to the podcast or read the articles because it kind of scares me now that she's older. I said, yeah, I can kind of see that, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not for everybody, mm-hmm. but... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's something that Scott and I have, oh, I mean, we learned when we first met each other that we had this mutual fascination, you know, mm-hmm. because, um, well, and like if people well, listen to our show, I had an encounter yeah. with the serial killer before he got arrested, you know, Ooh. so it's like, yeah, because my mom trained him as a CNA. My mom was a very well-respected nurse for many years, and he was a CNA that worked uh-huh. in her facility, and she trained him. And I met him that way, and it was like, he's very good-looking, he was very charismatic, and when he was arrested, mm-hmm. I'm like, he is not the one, no. And, yeah, so, it's kind of freaky when you think about it. it it's very freaky. Yeah. Uh, you know, I get asked all the time by people, what makes them do it? And I said, I don't know, and I'll tell you, most of them don't know either. Yeah, ex- But what really yeah. differentiates us is that uh, any human being, is capable of killing. Yes, yes. However, the serial killers tend to do it because they enjoy it. Right. <laughs> that is where right. um, I could see defending myself or a friend or one of my animals and having to do that. That oh, would yeah. be like the last total thing you would have to do. Right. But for them, it's like a good day. It's a good day. Well, yeah, because we were just ah. we were just talking with Keith before you called, and we got we mm-hmm. actually touched on that very subject that it becomes an addiction for them. You yeah, know? he will tell you, and he probably already has that he's comfortable with his guilt. Yes, he, he is. He knows what he did. He knows why he is where he is. When I was interviewing, uh, I interviewed a little over twenty serial and rampage killers for this particular project. Some mm-hmm. I met in person, quite a few I spoke with regularly on the phone, and I still speak with Keith, as you know, every week. Right. I speak with Todd Colehead frequently and Gene Giles. I visit him also because he's just across the state from me in Florida. But I also speak every Saturday afternoon with Dennis Rader. And Dan, okay. Dennis is incarcerated for life in Kansas. He's that big old battle. Right. Oh, yeah. They all killed. They all killed without remorse. Yeah. Um, and there are reasons for doing it are as different as night and day. Oh, yeah. Dennis is classified as a sexual sadist. And that's, he will tell you right off the bat, yeah, that's what I am. I'm a sexual sadist. And then he goes into detail with me why he is. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, he <laughs> always talks about the factor X, you know. he's. It was. Know. It's gone now. Factor X is gone. Oh, really? Yep. Factor X. Um, 
Yes, exactly. That's exactly what he called it. Dennis believed he was uh, inhabited by a demon when he was about three years old. Oh, And okay. the demon grew up with him. And he knew the demon was there. He just didn't know why until that evening he was outside of the Otero home, which actually the it was this week that that happened. That right. he killed that whole family. And he stood there and he cut the power line, the phone line, and thinking, I got to go home. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. And then one of the children appeared at the back door with the dog to let the dog out. And that was it. He just went inside the house and he released Factor wow. X, which is what he calls his demon. He also calls it batter. He is a boy, A-P-T-E-R, batter. Okay. Or the minotaur. He, he always refers to himself. He refers to any serial killer as an S-K or a minotaur. To him, they are all called minotaurs. And he oh. was the minotaur of what Wichita. And I asked him, I said, Dennis, you've been in, he's been in this little cement cell now for 17 years. Right. And I asked him, I said, uh, is Factor X still around? Do you still have the desire to kill? Because, yes, those are some of the things that he and I talk about. And he says, nope, uh, it's gone. Uh, Factor X left me a long time ago. I have no desire to kill anymore. He does talk about it, though, how much he enjoys uh, right. the ideas of bondage and torture and so forth. But he just can't act on any of it because that driving force is gone. Batter Factor X has left him. Oh, but okay. he still sees uh, demons all the time. Dennis suffers from what's called paradelia. Okay. And many of us experience paradelia. Like if you look in the sky and you see a cloud that looks like a dog or a horse to you, okay. you're seeing or your your mind is creating a, a recognizable shape out of uh, chaos. Right, right. And he will stand in his cell and he'll look at the floor or the wall and he'll see patterns in the cement or the dirt or whatever. And then he starts to see eyes. But then he'll see a whole demon. And he sees demons all wow. along his cell. And he has conversations with them and he draws them. And he oh. sent me several drawings of them. His favorite is the werewolf. There's a shark creature. And I said, send me the shark one, because I like sharks. So right? One of his big, big-ass shark drawings. Yeah. Um, but that, yes, absolutely, you're right. Totally. Factor X was what he released. Yeah. Do I believe in a Factor X? Do you believe in a Factor X? Do you believe in demons? Uh, yeah, I do believe that there is that aspect out there. I believe in the supernatural. Um, uh-huh. Totally. So I do believe that that is mm-hmm. out there. Um, and I also believe that it's kind of like the people, like Scott and I have talked about it before, kind of the people who are like weaker in mind, you know, that yes. fall under that influence heavier. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so That's a very good theory. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. So I, I mean, I do believe it. I know Scott believes in it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so there is all that. I didn't realize when he was talking about Factor X, though, that he that was a demon. I thought he was talking about that's a gene that a lot of serial killers have, especially sexual sadists. I know the X will really throw you off because it sounds like the X chromosome. Now another mm. very famous serial killer, more than one had them. Bobby Joe Long. Yeah, Bobby oh, yes. Joe Long had it. Yeah. Yeah, he had Klein-Felter syndrome, which is an extra X chromosome. So right. He grew breast. As a kid, right, and was bullied a lot for them. Um, yes. but that's what Factor X was. And he, I asked him where it came from. Did he know? And he said, "Well, he's pretty sure." And this sounds a little odd, but it's what he was telling me. 
that it came from a statue in his parent grandparents' house. Okay. Um, it kind of looked like uh, the statue of the lovers. Okay. And it was a small brown statue. That's all he can remember of that. But he was, he knew the demon was in there. And oh. his grandparents would have him take a nap in one of the upstairs bedrooms of their house where he spent a lot of time when he was a little kid. Okay. And that statue was up there, and he knew the demon was in there, that he knew that where it came from was his grandparents' house. Wow. But uh, Factor X is uh, somewhere in the ether. We don't know where it is. And I've asked Dennis, I asked him, I said, and I asked all of the uh, uh, people I interviewed, what would you do if you were released today? And he's 77 now. He had a stroke a couple of years ago. He's very, very frail. Um <clears throat> He can't walk more than 10 or 15 feet before they have to get a wheelchair for him. And uh, he said, Briar, if I was released today, I'd, I'd end up in a homeless shelter somewhere until somebody recognized who I was, and then they would probably just kill me. Right, right. Oh, oh so that's uh, Dennis' take on who he is now and the fact that he's demon-free, but he has to share his cell with so many of them. Uh, he doesn't uh, seem to be afraid of them. He just knows that they're there and has lengthy conversations with them. <laughs> wow. But when I, uh, he and I talk every Saturday, and he's one of the most organized people I've ever met. He keeps these big files, codex, he calls them, where he gives everybody uh, a code name. Okay. And once you have your code name, you go into his big book. And he does. He has a physical book. That he writes your name and your code name down and when he talked to you and what you talked about and the date you called or, or when he has to call me uh, and the things that we discussed and things that he needs to do. And then when he sends me things, he sends another whole huge sheet full of uh, diagrams and whatnot explaining what he just sent to me. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, just, I, just, so I just find it fascinating. Yeah, mm-hmm. he keeps, like, detailed records then. Now I know what to look forward to, because Dennis and I have been emailing back and forth, and right. he has been sick, um, and he's getting mm-hmm. better. Uh, that's what he said in his last email, um, but he's not out of the mm-hmm. woods yet. But, uh, so, yeah. No. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to getting yeah, to, to know him. Uh, you know, definitely ask him about One of the things I've discovered about Dennis is that he's incredibly articulate. He's very smart. He's... Uh, uh, he doesn't blow up or fly off the handle like some of them occasionally will. He's just very calm and really easy to talk to. So ask him whatever you want, seriously. He, I think, enjoys the questions and especially different unusual ones. We have to picture he's been sitting in the same little 8 by 10 foot space for 17 years. He enjoys the conversation. So look forward to some interesting things coming your way, Scott. I'm, I'm, at, yeah, because you know, I, I, I came across the video from when he was uh, in court and and being uh, convicted, like he's pleading guilty. Yes. And his demeanor yeah. is what captured my interest the most because, honestly, as he's as he's retelling each tale, uh-huh. it was yeah. almost as easy as as me looking at Tammy over here. Like if we're if we're out, but hey, can you pass me the salt, please? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's just, what, not no scared, yeah, not whatsoever. Yeah, there, there, there was just it, 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 it was, it was like it wasn't a big thing, even when he was trying to remember things. Like I know, like if I'm under stress, and I'm trying to remember mm-hmm. things, I get quiet. 
and not Dennis. Dennis sat there, and, and it was the body language. It was his facial expressions. It was him looking up at the ceiling going, I think that was, um, let me think. Um, 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 and then to give the answer. Mm-hmm. Wait a minute. You're talking about this like you're remembering like a kid's birthday party or <laughs> yeah. or like uh, like when you blew Yo, a tire. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. I he uh, he, and it isn't that he's passing the buck to Factor X. Dennis killed them, and he will admit it. He admitted it in court. Right. He acknowledged the presence of the demon. He believes it's a demon, <laughs> but he's ultimately guilty, and he totally accepts where he is and why. And at first, he was furious. They all are. Oh, my God, I got caught. And I thought I'd never be caught. They never do. They never think they're going to get caught. Oh, right. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> And then true. they go through shock and awe. Mm-hmm. Shock and awe of the court. And then all of a sudden, they're in prison. Door clangs shut. And then dead silence <laughs> for the next 50 years. Right. Um, uh, he, he's a very interesting person to talk to. And he sent me some beautiful poetry. He's an amazing poet. Oh, wow. uh, And I... I haven't discussed it openly too much, but uh, he and I decided to do this. And I took one of his poems that he wrote just for this. And I entered it into a competition for him. And wow. it, it became one of the poems that went in the book. It is in the book. Wow. <laughs> okay. wow. And I said to the publishers, it's not my poem. This is the guy who wrote it. And that's where he's incarcerated. I gave them everything. So right. he's in this book of modern poets. And here's this poet. Incarcerated in that, Kansas, he wrote a beautiful so poem bizarre. called. It is very bizarre. He yeah, wrote a beautiful poem called "The Coming." Wow, the coming typhoon, and wow. with that, uh, the coming typhoon was how he viewed himself as a little boy, oh. and knowing that the demon was inside of him, and what his life is going to be like, uh, having to live uh, with this creature inside of him. Wow. Uh, factor X or, or batter. And he referred to it a lot as batter towards the end. One of the things that amazed me when he was in court, and I've watched that several times, it was almost like he was at an award ceremony. Yeah. And he's thanking the detectives for catching him and then doing this and then doing that and he's yeah. acknowledging everybody involved in the case. And then I thought at any minute, someone was going to hand him an Oscar and he was just going to walk right. out of the back of the courtroom. Are you waiting bye, for Dennis. the... The walk-off music? Yeah. Good to see you. And they the applause from the audience. You know, we knew you were going to win, Dennis. We knew you were. That's exactly what that conversation with that judge reminds me of. Yeah. And I think what I think is so ironic about this whole thing, and a lot of people don't know this either. I mean, they know I've been in trouble before. But they don't know mm-hmm. that when I was in prison back in 90, I got a, was in there 94 to 97, they, li- I literally wrote a poem from inside the jail about how when you're inside, you don't realize that life goes on on the outside. And it was published mm-hmm. in one of those books, too. So Wow. Yeah. So yeah, you're sharing something with people that I think is really important to be able to share. Yeah. I do. Well, and I talk about, I, I am open about it, you know. If anybody asks, I'm like, yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's like, I don't want people to come back and say, well, you didn't, you lied to us or you didn't tell us and we should have known. You know, so. Well, and that, yeah. that's kind of the whole reason yeah, why we hey. talk to serial killers is because yes. when, when you say serial killer, for example, let's let's go with Keith. Because Keith and I, much like you and Keith, him and I talk on and off air. And, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, as soon as you say 
Keith Jesperson or the Happy Face Killer, people automatically say, this is a monster. And what he did was monstrous <laughs> things. Right. However, yeah, he he's still a person. And they had a life prior to that. And they have a life now, which is vastly different than their life before they got caught. But they're right. still a person, mm-hmm. you know. And with Keith being on the show and, like I said, and talking to him off air, um, it really gave me this great perspective on just the kind of person he is. Because him and I, we don't always talk mm-hmm. about the crimes. I mean, we talk about truck driving stories and, and just different right. different life stories and things like that. And that's why I'm looking forward to talking to, to Dennis so much when he's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, up to doing it. Uh, because at the end of the day, Dennis is still a person. You know, he's got mm-hmm. real feelings. He's got real emotions. He's got a life that's, like I said, vastly different than when he, before he got got. Um, but but <laughs> he's still a person. And monstrous things aside. Well, you, you've hit exactly on what my book is about. That's oh. exactly what it's about. I'm still waiting uh, for the audiobook uh, part I, of it. I, you just did the perfect segue. The book is compassionate. The book is about um, no filters whatsoever. When I interviewed them, I met with them. I met Keith a couple times in person and Gene, and then all the other ones I've talked with. And then they write to me also through these messaging systems you're probably familiar with, like emails. Mm-hmm. But everything that's in the book that they said is verbatim. And wow. the purpose of the book was not to rehash their crimes. I reference them so the readers will understand why that person is either um, doing life in prison or they're on death row, right. what put them there, and that's the end of it. If okay. they themselves want to talk about their crimes, I I go right ahead, but I never questioned one of them, not once, ever, wow. did I ever question them about the crime. What I asked them was who they are now, and I asked them specific questions to try to elicit some responses. For example, what do you want people to know about you? Or when you pass, what's going to be on your tombstone? <coughs> Things right. like that, that they don't usually get asked. <laughs> it well, was really yeah. interesting. Yeah, because <laughs> we, wrote, we really write to this other guy who's on death row down in California. Oh, yeah. And we literally told him from the very beginning, we don't care about what you did because mm-hmm. we can find that out by uh-huh. Googling you. We want to know right. who you are as a person, you know, and... All that other stuff. We don't care about your past. And he goes, you know, it was hard for him to wrap his mind around that because when you're in prison, that's all people care about is your past. You know, they, they only care about that or they want to get a lock of your hair or they yeah. want to your handprint. Hand. Yes. We talked about yeah. that with yeah. Keith. Today. Yeah, we're talking about how people want to exploit that stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Well, then as Keith talked to you about some of the things that he and I are doing together post book. He has talked, aren't you, are, you're the author that's trying to help him locate that, his victim in California, right? Yeah, that's her. Right. Yeah, I'm okay, that, to, I, I was I, like, I, okay. Yeah. Yes, I'm trying to help find with some, uh, I can't go into too many details with it, but I'm right in the middle of trying to locate his missing third victim, and right. also working with law enforcement to identify two of his Jane Doe's. Oh, There's okay. a whole chapter in the book devoted just to his Jane Doe's. And there were three of them. One of them in March of last year, Patsy Skipple. She was identified. She right. was a mid to northern California who killed her and right. then disposed of her body up the side of the road. And this organization called the DNA Doe Project, I finally identified her. Right. And Keith called me. It was late at night, which he never does. But he did, and he was pretty upset for Keith. <laughs> 
And uh, uh, what's going on? What is it? And he said, I'm all over the news, apparently. I'm, everybody's yeah, I remember when that broke. Saying, yeah. And the people in the prison thought he killed another person he never admitted to. He yeah. Said, no, I admitted to all eight of my victims. He said, can you go online and see? Because he can't access the internet. Right. So I did that. And it was about 1030 at night. And I'm looking online. And there it was. All these articles popping up from all over the world about his victim being identified. So about yeah. two months went by. And he and, I talk, he and I talk every week, sometimes once, sometimes two or three times. But at one point, he called me back up and he said, you know, I've given this a lot of thought. And you and I have worked together for quite a while on this other project. Would you help to identify the other women that I killed? Wow. And I just about fell out of my chair. And I said, it's a serious piece if you're asking me to do that. You have to know that I'm going to follow through. And, right. yep, that's why I'm asking you. So I wow. contacted Ukulusa Sheriff here in Florida. He's got a Jingle here in Florida. And the other one is in Riverside County, California. Right. And then there's this other victim that was up in Livingston. And I don't know if people are too familiar with her, but she was the third victim. Met her in Turlock, and she was uh, working the truck lot prostitute. Right. And he killed her. So then Keith uh, gave himself up in 95. Right. And at one point, he was being brought back from Oregon down to California to stand before a judge and say he did kill these women that they found here, right, the Jane Doe. And then one of the detectives showed him a picture of this woman named Cynthia Lynn Rose Wilcox. Right. And said, what about her? Tell us how did you kill her? He says, I don't even know who that is. Right, we right. covered her we, last week. Yeah, yeah, we talked about that, too, and about how, you know, mm-hmm. she's the one that died of the overdose, but he has a victim that was yes. in the same, where he dumped her in the same area. Like he said, like, 50 yards from where they yeah, found, exactly. you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. it's That's yeah, it's what he just, was telling me. Yeah. It's just really bizarre, though, because I remember when the story broke last year about that, the DNA on that victim and everything and a lot of them were alluding to the fact that she was an unknown victim you know and I was mm-hmm. like that makes no sense <laughs> I, know. I, I mean and that was even before sense. we started oh. communicating with her w- with him you know mm-hmm. and yeah it, it's a very unusual situation that yeah. I talked a number of times with one of the detectives in Riverside County and uh, first of all, I called him up and I said, you've got a cold case. You have a Jane Doe there. And he said, yeah, uh, we just need to find a funding source. And I said, I will be your funding source. Wow. I offered to pay some tests for them. And he said, okay, let me see what I can set up. So they started to set it up. And a few weeks went by. And so I called just to ask, if they need a check sent? What do they need? I was treated like a piece of trash. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. This woman called me from the corner's office and said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are trying to get information like this? And I said, whoa, no, 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 no. You are completely misunderstanding. I simply offered to pay for the test. That is it. And I told her, I said, I don't need to know anything about her case or how she was killed. The killer told me everything I need to know. I'm only offering to be your funding source to get her DNA tested. And this right. woman hung up for me. Wow. And then the detective called me and said, you can't be doing this. You can't be digging up information. And I said, dude, 
No, I didn't do anything. I offered to pay for the testing. End of story. <laughs> right. And Jesus it was Christ. just this unbelievable tirade from the detective wow. and then from the coroner's office. And I said to them, uh, okay, you know, I offered if you want to come back because of the reasons I offered to do it in the first place, I will be there to be your funding source. But wow, we're done. You know, you keep calling me back up and tell me what a horrible person I am. Okay, well, we're done. Yeah. And I spoke with another detective in Riverside County about this missing victim, Livingston, California, right. where the body of that young woman who died of drug overdose was. Right. And uh, at first, this guy, we did the Freedom of Information Act. I got a copy of her autopsy report. I went through all of it, and I said, well, no, he couldn't kill her. I can agree with him completely. <laughs> yeah. a drug overdose. Exactly. And then he said... He said to me, do you honestly think that he put a body of a woman in a parking lot and nobody noticed? And I tried to explain to him that it was at 3 in the morning, but he didn't want to hear it. He didn't want to hear it. And then I tried to explain to him. I said, well, (laughs) how do you think then this other woman lay out in the open for seven or eight days and nobody saw her? He buried this other woman under dirt in tumbleweeds. So how do you account for that, detective? How do you account for the fact that this other woman lay in the open and, wow, nobody saw her either? No response. No Mm -hmm. answer. And every time I'd point out another fact to him, he would say, if you continue to insult me, I will just hang up. So I How do other serial killers get away with it? You know? People dump bodies everywhere. Yeah. And I've been working with some map makers to look at what happened was the cafe where she was put, both of those women, was torn down in the mid 90s to make way for I 99, the freeway that runs up the coast of California. I'm mean, not right. to the valley of California. And uh, I'm trying to find out if the body of this woman was bulldozed under where the cafe was or is she under the freeway? And that's where I am right now. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember what, I know he's changed his name to, I kind of want to touch on, he changed his name to Steppenwolf. His last name was Haynes. Um, right, and, that's Monk. Monk Steppenwolf. Yeah, yep, Monk, Monk Steppenwolf. I, knew it was, I was like, I can't remember what he changed his name to. And we actually featured him. <laughs> and I had to laugh at him changing his name to that. I'm like, you, there's a, you yeah. chose Monk Steppenwolf as a name? Yeah. You, there, there's a million better names, better options. Like, you could have you could have phoned a friend. <laughs> you could have asked for some friend. suggestions. But what do you do? My name's Monk Steppenwolf. Yeah. Really? Dude. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I never asked him. I never asked him why he picked the name. I just felt like he's been Monk Steppenwolf for so many decades that right. it was like, whatever. <laughs> well, right, well, and it's like, because we, we heard that he had changed his name because he didn't want to be associated with his brother. You know? That's part of it. You yeah. Know, when you look at the, the background of it, he and his brother were housed separately, and he didn't want to be confused with his brother's crime. Right, because right, his brother was a rapist and, and killer, so... Yes, exactly. And Monk wasn't, he just was a murderer. He killed yeah, a whole well, bunch of people. Yeah, that's what Scott and I were kind of laughing about this morning. It's like, you know, you know, I, I'm a serial killer, but I'm not that type of serial killer. <laughs> you know? 
So, well, you know, it was interesting. He called me about that woman being identified, Patsy. Uh, okay. It alienated him for quite a long time because he had raped her. Oh. And with a lot of these guys in prison, it's okay to murder a woman, murder your wife, woman, murder any woman you want. Just don't rape her. Right. Uh, because it puts a really weird spin on it. And so he went through a little bit of difficulty with some of his uh, friends there in Oregon wow. where he's housed. Uh, but I was really amazed when he came back and asked me to help him try, try to identify them. I, you know, and total hats off to the Ukulucha Sheriff's Department. Right. They not only stepped up to the plate and did that, they went, they sent two samples out to two different labs. They're working very, very hard to identify them. Wow. Jane Doe in Florida, and she has been a Jane Doe now for almost uh, 30 years. Wow. Wow. You know, and that's that's kind of, I mean, that is such an amazing thing that you're, like, stepping up and helping with that. Because, you know, when you have a Jane Doe, their families don't know, you know, yeah. who, who, if they've been killed or not, because they haven't been identified. So their families have never heard from them, you know. They don't know. So that's, oh, that's always something in the back of their head that they might still be alive, That you know. That's the so, thing, though. You know, Keith and I now are talking about it. He said that's the one thing that kind of held him up for a while before asking for my help. Right. Because it then takes away that last little bit of hope that right. you're a relative. Right. Still alive. And I get that. But after 30 years. Right. Exactly. Person, like, for instance, Patsy had grown children. They were adults with children of their own. They had right. any right to know what happened to their mother. So I was very glad that she was identified. Yeah, uh, but I do get that. I do get that aspect of okay, the Jane Doe's been identified, the hope is gone. Wow. And I don't know. I don't really believe in closure, but you do have to yeah. pick up the pieces at some point, move on with your life. Right. Right. People are relying on you. So yeah. I don't know. I tell yeah, people all the time. We're working hard. <laughs> yeah. No, I tell people all the time. There's no such thing as closure, but there is such thing as moving on. And learning, you know mm -hmm. what I mean, adapting to the fact and like moving past it. So um, now, did you find when you talk to any of these these people that um, none of them have really changed their attitude that if they got out, they'd, they'd commit the crime again? Nope. Actually, the opposite. Oh, none really? None really had any interest. Yeah, no. And then that's, that's not to say that's what would happen because whatever triggered them to do it in the first place, it's still out there, in my opinion. They're going to bump right. into that again. Right. However, everybody I talk to and I ask them that question, what would you do if you were released? Would you kill again or do you miss killing? Nope, nope, don't want to do it anymore. All done, yeah. that's gone. They all said that, all of them. That doesn't mean it's true. And I, didn't, right. I did ask the question of the Rampage killers also. I interviewed a number of them. Nico right. Jenkins, uh, Nicholas Chalet. Got the cray. He's the Steel Beach killer out in California, wow. uh, and it was interesting to me talking to them because the, the serial killers, and you've probably experienced this, are kind of laid back and calm and cool, and have kind of wicked senses of humor. Yes, oh, they the do. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The rampage killers. No, they were like wound up tighter than cheap watches the entire wow. time. I'd be talking with any of them, and I think that is just a, a huge. Um, difference in their personality right kinds of killers 
Wow. I mean, because the reason why I asked that question is because I remember back when Charles Manson was alive, he was asked several times, you know, what happened if you got out today? Mm -hmm. He goes, I'd do it all over again. You know, so <laughs> I, I've been curious about that. That's something that, you know, we've even talked to Keith about it. And he goes, well, you got to remember, I'm 60 some years old now. And I said, yeah, but still mm -hmm. take into consideration, you know, if you could, would you? And he goes, no, I, I don't want to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. And so yeah, that uh, desire seems to be gone and they don't even know most of them why they did it in the first place. They, they really don't. Um, the, the serial killers, they, there's like four different groups of them that people, like people, I mean, psychologists and law enforcement use to try to identify them to begin to understand the nature or the origins of their crimes in the first place. Right. And uh, there's the disoriented, that's key. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of true. Organized because you don't, they don't have any plan. It just, you know, a woman looked at him sideways and boom, less than a minute later, she's dead. Well, plus when he started uh, with Tanya Bennett, his life was kind of a big shit show. I mean, he he, he's, he had... Well, uh, okay, now, he may not have killed her. You know that, right? You know Tanya? that now. No, I right. thought we were still stuck on because that's what we were talking about today with Keith was when he killed Tanya Bennett. Mm -mm. No, there's um, controversy over that. And then one of the next books I'm working on is the Tanya Bennett case. Ooh. And as I've been interviewing people, um, there's uh, conflict in that and that he may not have been the one who killed her. Uh, now you're killing me because I, I I listened to the sample that you sent me of the audiobook of, of this of this book here, Serial Killers Then and Now, and I'm already addicted. Uh -huh. And I'm sitting there going, "Release it! Come on, come on, Audible, release it!" And now you're you're killing me, Brian. You're killing me here. God oh, dang! Oh, I'm so sorry, but it'll be wonderful when you get it. At this point, my my partner Richard and I were almost done. I've got this amazing narrator whose name is Dick Tribune. He's up in Connecticut. He's done. This is my second book of mine that he's narrated. But because so much of the book is first person and definitely written by a woman, those parts I'm narrating. So oh, getting nice. all that stuff done and cut together. I think, honestly, by this Friday, we're going to be done with it, Scott. I'm, and I will eat, message you immediately when it's done. Oh, yes. But I have interviewed people about the Tanya Bennett case. I've been looking at all the data on it. Keith, where he killed her. Um... We all know, or most people know, about Laverne and John. Right, right, right. Who are put in prison for six years, supposedly wrongfully accused of having killed them. But there is uh, there is controversy. There are, are people in law enforcement who are telling me that, no, Keith never had anything to do with her death. So um, this will be interesting as I continue to do the amount of research I need to do. You keep asking me, are you writing the book yet or working on it? No, I need to get more... Truth. <laughs> I right, need to more, get more info information because the little bit of research I'm doing, there's massive conflict about who actually killed that woman. Right. So right. I'm not just going to write a book because you said you killed her. Oh, it doesn't work that way. No. I have to corroborate everything. Well, today <laughs> marks. Go, Scott. Today's the 33rd <laughs> anniversary of when Bennett died. Mm hmm. And yeah, uh, 1990, January. Right, this so, month, it, and then Monday is Tammy's birthday, so she is sick <laughs> in the head because uh, she's coming back to the uh, to uh, into the studio right now because she had to run out real quick. But uh, 
what she what what her and I are going to do today is we're going to actually retrace the steps of the Bennett case. Uh-huh. We're going to start at the house. Oh, there you go. And we're going to go up to Vista mm-hmm. Point, and we're going to track the the road back down to the very first uh, gully. Um, uh-huh. You know the the whole shot because to, apparently to her this is fun. I, <laughs> <laughs> the, well, well you're is, not the only one. There's people that like to do. What, and what does it hurt? No, it doesn't. Seriously. It doesn't hurt. You're anything. not. You're not. You're not condoning. Right, and we tell people her. that all the time. We don't condone what they did. But when I brought it up to Scott earlier this week, I said, "If you don't have any plans, this is what I'd like to do." He goes, "You're so sick. I'm in." <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm in. I'm on it. <laughs> well, while you're out there looking, look for a uh, shower curtain because that's still missing. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we talk. We talk about that with Keith. But no, he actually mm-hmm. gave us almost detailed directions on where to go and how to get there, and you know. Mm-hmm. The one thing Keith has mm-hmm. is he's got this almost photographic memory. As a matter of fact, just two weeks ago, I was heading uh, uh-huh. to a place that is that was in Tompanish or Zila, I can't remember, um, offhand. But uh, no, it was in Yakima. I was going to say, wasn't it Yakima? Yeah, it was Yakima, and and him and I are just you know talking back and forth. Oh, here's exactly how you got to get there, and dude. When I programmed it into my GPS, it was verbatim. Uh-huh. <laughs> turn by turn. Turn by yeah. turn. Exactly. I'm like, oh, my God. And well, you've been incarcerated this long. Dude, I can't remember what I did yesterday. Well, he still rattles off the phone number that he used for his dad's calling card to call people when he was out on the road. Yeah, I just, mm-hmm. And it's like it just rolls off his tongue. And he remembers addresses and everything. It's like, dude, I can't remember. No. I run into people from my past all the time. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> but yeah, he remembers names. He remembers all of it. But um, so I kind of had to step out of the studio for a minute. So I hope you guys didn't touch on this one. But I wanted to ask you about Todd Colehep. Uh-huh. Todd. You, oh, yeah. he's in trouble. He's yeah. what? He's in trouble right now. Is he? I feel bad. Uh, yeah. Wow. Um, Todd is, uh, for your listeners, a lot of you will know who he is. Todd Colehep is incarcerated for life in South Carolina. He's at a place called Lieber, which is in Ridgeville, South Carolina. He admitted to, or was accused of, and admitted to shooting and killing seven people, including several employees and the owner of a motocross shop. Right. Years ago. And then he also uh, held captive a young woman named Kayla. For 60 right. days in a shipping container on his property. Right. So here's what happened. And it's funny. Tata wasn't, but he and I are trying to work through it because it was just not great. Right. But when I, the book released January 5th, and I did an interview for a show out of London called Liquid Bullets Productions. When the editor for the show put together the promo, he was just grabbing sound bites. You know how that works, right? Whatever oh, yeah. sounds interesting to a potential audience. Well, he bumped two of them up next to each other. First, I'm talking about Todd. And then I'm talking about Keith and the Tanya Bennett case and the fact that people went to prison for killing her who didn't. Right. Prison authorities were sent that promo I did. And they're wow. listening to it. And the, what they thought happened was they thought Todd had admitted to me a murder that he never admitted to anybody else. Oh my wow. God. They yeah. him out of his cell. They dragged him out of his cell and interrogated him. Took away all the things. 
took his tablet away, which is, you know, these prisoners, their lifeline is that tablet. Right. And then I get this message from him, and he calls me Miss Vegan or Miss Vegan Hot Mess. He likes that. And he calls me, he writes me this message. He goes, you are a bad, bad vegan. And I'm like, well, okay. Why? <laughs> and, this, and what happened was he thought that I was talking about him also, but I wasn't. I was talking about Keith. So yeah. I called the warden. I called operations at the prison. I called the Department of Corrections four or five times for South Carolina. And I said, no, I wasn't talking about Todd. It was an error on the part of the editor. I was talking about Keith Justison. Todd never knew him, was right. never part of the Tanya Bennett case. Please give him back his belongings. And they've given him back everything but the tablet so far. Oh, so, wow. wow. <laughs> he was put to the ringer wow. because I was talking about Keith Justison. Right. Keith, of course, thought it was hysterical. He thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever heard. Right. And I said, no, come on. Because he's living in Club Med where he is compared to most prisoners. Well, I was, because Scott and I have talked about that, too, that the Oregon penitentiary system is so laid back than it is when it comes to, like, California or other places. It's like, you know, Mm -hmm. it's totally Mm -hmm. different. Yeah, it's totally different. Mm -hmm. I mean, because I used to watch Lockup. I was a Lockup junkie. But it's like... I mean, and after spending time in a prison in Oregon, I'm like, that doesn't happen here, <laughs> you know. But um, no, I'm and I understand the men's place. prison is different, but yeah, it's, it's um, one of those things. It's yeah, they're all very different. I talked with, I tried talking with inmates in other countries, but it's just too hard to try to get through the protocols in right. different prisons. If I ever do sequels, then I'll pick another country, in like Australia or England. And maybe do research for a book about that. But I stuck with just the U.S. after I tried to reach a few people in some other countries. The protocol is just too difficult. Okay. In the U.S., if you're a U.S. citizen and you live here in this country, it's a lot easier. Besides, they also have these uh, systems now where you can telephone, message, all kinds of things. Right. With these third-party companies, you just pay a small fee and you're able to then message to these people all day long. They, you know, they're yeah. fine. That Other was countries just don't have that. Very convenient for us because I was sick one time and Scott wasn't feeling very good. So I actually had to leave a message for Keith not to call in, <laughs> you know. So we, we found that very handy. <laughs> very. Yeah, I don't message with Keith. I've never messaged with him. He and I just talk on the phone or I go see him in person. Right. But uh, I, I'm not sure he's a big fan of messaging. But if that's all you have at that moment, it's an, an amazing yeah, amazing uh, tool to have, and Dennis has that, and but he can call me, which uh, I pay for the phone call. Right. My deal with these people is, if they are communicating with me by phone or letter, or whatever, I will cover the cost of the phone call and the postage. Right. I can't expect them right. to do that. You know, they're making a whole whopping fifty bucks a year or something. Right. So no, I'm not going to ask them to do that. Although yeah. Dennis, on Christmas, he called me Christmas Eve, and he said. This is my Christmas present. This is what I can do for you. I'm paying for the call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we do the same for the uh, for the ones that we talk to as well. Yeah, exactly. We actually talked to Keith on Christmas to. Eve. So, yep. But, ah, well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's and it's what I find fascinating about even the ones we've it come in contact with and we've communicated with is other than mm-hmm. like one or two. Most of them are very articulate and educated. 
you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Very. yeah, it's 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 like something that people don't understand. It's like you know they a lot of them are very educated people, and you know I was mm-hmm. telling Keith today I was like you know I understand how it was so easy for you to pick up women because you were and are a very good looking man, you know. And so it's like it's not like somebody would feel like oh he's a weirdo because he looks kind of sketchy it's like i see pictures of him back then and i remember when he got arrested because you know i'm from mm-hmm. this area it's like yeah he's kind of cute you know okay, but i don't like mm-hmm. keith in that way i mean i yeah just, you came on to uh, him today shut up but <laughs> but, but here's a, here, here's a, here's actually a funny story for you briar so one of the first serial oh. killers that i wrote was patrick kearney <laughs> yeah oh yeah and i <laughs> loved my letters back and forth with him. Very smart. Very articulate. Yeah. And as, as him and I are, you know, kind of opening up and, and talking about more different, you know, subjects, I happen to mention that uh, that that I have a girlfriend. Yeah. And everything stopped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything. So. I was. So the, now Scott says. <laughs> now, 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 <laughs> our running joke here um, at Twisted Blue uh, LLC is, is uh, I know he's cheating on me. I'll forgive him. I'll forgive oh. him. But I know he's cheating on me. <laughs> cheating on me. I want to stand outside of his cell with a bo- old boom box and start thinking, baby, come back. That's saying oh, anything. No. <laughs> Patrick, John I love you. Oh, you yeah, that you is a huge me. running joke with us. It's like, I, well, if you wouldn't have cheated on him. <laughs> kind of breaks my heart. Yeah. He'll be talking to you. Yeah. Yeah, he'll be writing me and everything well, like that. Now, and I, I think- was working on the book, and I uh, interviewed, as I've seen, a lot of people. Three of them uh, proposed marriage to me. Oh, oh wow. wow. There you go. <laughs> We're both shocked at that one. <laughs> yeah, we kind of talked about that with Keith today, too. Not, they, not, they not have that you're not attractive beats. or anything. It's just it's kind of comes as a shocker. I wouldn't think that serial yeah. killers would be like, hey, you're writing a book about me. Marry me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was so funny. But, yeah, I had three marriage proposals. Wow. Um, and one of them was hysterical, though, because what happened was I got two kind of serious-ish ones, mm-hmm. and I sent one of them because it was so funny, because it was so badly written. I sent it to Todd Kohut. Todd's a very funny guy, and he read that, and he wrote me back this lengthy letter about he would be remiss if he didn't have his opportunity to try for my hand in, in <laughs> Of ramen noodles well, and his crock pot 
and a shoelace he had tied into a garret to kill his roommate if he ever felt so Oh, my God, this is crazy. <laughs> you know what, though? So I, I would marry an inmate just to get the chili ramen that you can't find on the streets. You can only get it when you're incarcerated. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I tell people well, all the I'm time, I miss the chili ramen. His, uh, his tablet back. I just felt bad when his tablet got taken away because he had, it wasn't his fault and it wasn't mine either. But it yeah, was, it was just, yeah. It was a series of circumstances. That's right. crazy. Now, did you interview any women? Yes. You did? It was very hard to get anybody. I did. I interviewed Christine Fallon. She's here in Florida. Oh, we, we were Christine talking about... Christine's for a very long time. Did we no, talk to her? No, not yet, but we thought... I mean, I don't know if Scott wrote to her yet, but we were uh, talking about uh, contacting her. Now, was she open to communication? Yes, she was. Okay. Um, it took a little longer with her. She needed to have a little uh, um, assurance that I wasn't taking advantage of her, and right. I sent her all the questions ahead of time, right. and that... Uh, you know, this was going to happen and this was not going to happen, things like that. So right. then she she responded, she answered my questions, and those are in the book. And okay. she was the only woman I was able to get to respond back to me. And I did wow. contact quite a few, but you know, there's not as many, certainly as you know, as males. Right, there's not. Because we've reached out to Gwendolyn Graham, yet. and I haven't heard yeah. back from her yet. But I've also reached out to Darlie Routier. She was never a serial killer, but she was accused of killing mm-hmm. two of her sons in Texas. Now, when oh, it comes to oh. her case, it's like I I actually have doubt that she committed the crime. You know? Mm. But, um, yeah, so we've reached out to a couple of different women, but we found it... It's We get least responses from women than we do the men. Well, I'm a little upset, and let me tell you why. Yeah. I I have what? not had one proposal. <laughs> he was all waiting. the serial killers I've talked he to. He wanted one from Patrick, but it never came. Patrick never proposed to me. That's it. I'm done. I need to call my See, shrink. If anyone was going to propose to you, it would probably be Patrick. But, I mean, it was, um, they're in the book. The funniest one is the one, I, I left it anonymous because the, the person who wrote it, uh, very, very, very street lingo where he refers to himself as a bone-fied pimp gangster, and I should be his wife because, wow. and he lists all the reasons why I should be his wife. <laughs> and I'd only talked to the guy for five minutes, and I realized that this probably isn't going to be uh, a good relationship to continue to pursue because right. his focus is kind of strange, and I didn't wow. want to... Uh, I didn't want to continue to talk with him and, and keep bringing this marriage thing up he wanted to do. Because right. it, it was funny once. You know, it was funny the once, but if his focus was only that, it wasn't going to go anywhere. And so I decided right. to right. make my and then it starts with him. bordering on harassment, you know? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's crazy. And what I did was I sent it to Todd Colhead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there you Todd, go. What do I do with this? He goes, this is what you do with this. Right. And, I think Todd uh, might be the next person I write. when you read it. Yeah. Oh, Todd? Yeah, you yeah, definitely we've, mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about, you know, like, 
getting in touch with some of the ones you wrote to because obviously they're open for communication but you know we kind of want to like talk about and there's another guy here in Oregon who wasn't a serial killer that we kind of want to reach out to too and we're just hoping that more of them become more receptive once they realize that Mm -hmm. we're not here to exploit their crime you know and that's That's a very important thing to let them know yeah. yeah Yeah, we're not here to exploit your crime. We're not here to get all that. We just want to get to know you as a person. What were you like before mm-hmm. you started killing? You know, so. I do have a very fun, lengthy story in the book that Keith Jefferson shared with me. He wrote me, uh, he wrote most of these things down for me. So I, I have them in writing in that book in the book. But he was um, hurt pretty bad in high school. Did he tell you about this when he got hurt? Yeah, him and I actually discussed yeah, about that the- about the, the the rope that he climbed, because one thing mm-hmm. that him and I talked about, and I, uh, you know about traumatic brain injuries, and mm-hmm. Bobby Joe Long is a great example of that. Uh, yeah. uh, how his, uh, his his sex drive had changed after the motorcycle wreck. I mean, he mm-hmm. had brain injuries before that, you know, but he goes from a relatively normal sex drive to you know masturbating. What was it like? Yeah, 20 like ten, times yeah, twenty a times a day, and had to have like sex that. like five times a day with his wife, and it was just like, mm-hmm. dang. And that's one thing I ask you: that do you think that you may have had uh, a traumatic brain injury from the fall? He goes, "Well, I was knocked out for mm-hmm. a little while, and you know that could have been a contributing factor." Yeah. It certainly could have been. I mean, it's a, it's a definitely a valid theory. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't know why he did it. He just liked it. He liked it a lot. He liked yeah. it a lot when he killed. Um, so there was that part of his personality that was entertained by it. And that's the one thing about serial killers that I can't quite grasp is, like I was saying, there's the four groups of them. There's ones like the visionary, which is what Herbert Mullen was. Uh, Right. He was schizophrenic. So he would hear voices in his head telling him, you have to go kill. Uh, Herbert Mullen, for those of your listeners who aren't familiar with him, he just died last year, but his reason for killing was so strange he was told by these voices if he didn't kill a lot of people there were going to be major earthquakes in california yeah yep. we talked about him one time we featured him once mm-hmm. too already. yeah i was trying to think of what episode number it was but yeah I just... it's way back then. it's before 100 so it's way back then yeah, we're at uh, almost 350 now so. <laughs> yeah so um yeah because we we talked about that actually too because um richard trenton chase was the same way he literally mm-hmm. thought that his blood was turning to powder, and if he didn't drink the blood of animals and humans, then his mm-hmm. heart would stop and just disintegrate. You know, so there are people out there that that's why they do it. You know, there's those. Uh, there's the mission-oriented ones, like right. James Earl Ray, uh, people who are so convinced they need to obliterate these types of people from the planet and it's their mission to kill all Jewish people or kill all biracial couples or kill any black person they see. That's the mission oriented. And there's some very different ones in this week that disorganized, which is definitely but then there's the organized ones, which is definitely Dennis Rader. Dennis would plan sometimes for a year or more these of his killings and he called them Projects. And he only did 10. He planned 50. He planned 50 of them, but he was only able to execute 10 of them. And one of them, uh, which he talked about to me, I, it's in the book. He went to 
kill this woman. She was downtown Wichita. She was at a trailer that she was selling or something along that line. And the whole area was cordoned up by police. He was out to go kill this woman. And he couldn't because a sniper had gotten onto the top floors of the Holiday Inn in Wichita and was just shooting people. Oh, wow. So the, police had to, the police had to close the whole area down, and he's trying to get to his victim. And he can't get to her because there's a sniper on the Holiday wow. Inn. She Talk survived. about, you know, he, irony. He, <sighs> uh, well, she was told later that she was one of his victims, and she was very fortunate. But wow. wow, yeah, he uh, he um, he was very disappointed, and he would write poems about these things when he couldn't commit one of his murders or whatnot. But yeah, if he can continue to correspond with Dennis, he's actually a very fun person to talk with and and to um, go back and forth with letters because he's just so precise, he's so particular with everything that he says that you'd probably find him. Of course, he's one of the golden age serial killers. Right. Oh yes. Him and Macy and Dahmer and Ridgeway. Yeah. I did. Uh, I did communicate with David Berkowitz. I did communicate with Jerry Ridgeway. Um, they're both very, very ultra religious, and all they do at this point is focus their time on educating others about the life and times of Jesus Christ. Oh wow! And helping others to find God. And right. that's what their mission is. That's their purpose in prison. Gary and um, <clears throat> David Lookwood. <clears throat> I did talk about the Golden Age, which was the 50s or 60s. Right. Up until like the 70s or 80s. And William Bonin, he was talking you know, oh, about yeah. brain damage. William's father was a World War II vet. And the, one of the theories is that a lot of these serial killers were children of vets. And they were. Uh, right. These people who were suffering so badly from PTSD and they foisted right. a lot of this anger on their children. And William Bonin is a perfect example of, example of that. William was beaten so badly by his father that it killed part of his brain. Wow. And that was well documented that his part of his brain was actually dead, physically wow. dead. It was dead as in his brain case there. And so it, uh, those parts of him that should have had remorse or feelings, none. Mm-hmm. It was physically literally dead his father had killed that part of his brain so the author i was uh, referencing in the book quite a bit peter bronski he talks about this but there is a possibility of a second golden age of serial killers right on the horizon within the next five to eight years you may see a lot more and it's a result of 9-11 and the big right. financial crash of 2008 all these things that kind of add up to a national psyche of pain and suffering that birth these people. Right. And that is a very valid theory that's going on right now. Wow. The FBI will tell you that usually we're able, we, meaning anybody in law enforcement, is able to co- stop a serial kill usually after the second kill. It's going to be unlikely that you're going to find someone else like Gary Ridgway who killed like close to 80 right. or it took over 30 years to catch Dennis, things like that. Right. Because with all the cameras that are out there, the DNA, the science, mm-hmm. but what you're going to see more of them, which I agree, is that on the other side of this coin are the spree killers, the rampage killers, right. those who just pick up a gun or any weapon. Yeah. Exactly. And I saw a really interesting question today. Maybe your listeners might have an answer to it. But has there ever been an incident where there's been a spree killer that did it more than once? Wow. 
and I've ne- I've never heard of it. And right. most of them are suicidal, so I don't think this yeah. would be. But it was interesting. Yeah, death by cop and, or suicide know, by cop. Death by cop, or they shoot themselves mm-hmm. or kill themselves. And in 2022, just in that year alone, in the United States, there were 700 rampage or spree killers. Wow. And wow. you might have, what, 25 serial killers? There's going to be a lot more of the rampage stuff, I think, if well, anything. Yeah, and I mean, and what some people don't really understand, because I've heard FBI agents and stuff reference the fact that even to this day, right now, they have Uh a database called the HSK, the Highway Serial Killers, where they're tracking. It's like, okay, you know, these seem common on a common route and everything. So they're still being mm-hmm. tracked, and they said at any given time, there's a, there could be at least five active killers in any given state, you know? Yeah. And I was just like, no way. But I kind of believe it, you know? That's why I'm kind of glad that I I'm a too. fat, bald guy, because there's no <laughs> serial killer out there that goes, my victim pole is fat, bald musicians. You know, no, nobody's looking With at goatees. me. Yeah. You know. Oh, look at him. He's going into another recording studio and he's carrying a guitar and he's fat and bald wearing a cowboy hat. We got it. Get I'm him. Not, get that guy. Yeah. Get him right there. I'm in I, nobody's victim pool. And I am so grateful for that. Oh, my God. You're so funny. That's really. I mean, I actually I talked about it uh, because I referenced. Uh, I talked about what is a serial killer. And then I have a section in that chapter about what are the odds of being killed by one. Right. And they're infinitesimal. They're tiny. And this right. one author was so funny. I had to include his quote. He said, if, if you're not 20-something and living a very quiet lifestyle, you've got more to fear from a coconut or a right. cow than you do from a serial killer. That's a fact. <laughs> it's a fact. Well, it's really funny that you say that because I literally had a conversation with my mom like two weeks ago. And because we were talking uh-huh. about us interviewing Keith and everything. Um, and she goes, mm-hmm. aren't you afraid that, you know, you could be a victim if you ever got out? I said, no, first of all, I'm way older than his victim pool and I'm not a lot lizard. I don't roam truck stops looking for sex. Um, that is a lie, ma'am. Ma'am, ma'am, that is a lie. We know that you've been working Jubits and Sandy Boulevard. I hate you. That's Scott's running joke. But yeah, no, I am not. <laughs> But yeah, and oh my God. we kind of got yeah. interested in Keith because, you know, like I said, I was in the prison system here in Oregon, but I was literally in mm-hmm. prison with Laverne Pathlinek. And you oh, know, so you did you did she ever talk about it when she was oh, when you yeah. were in there with her? We what did she talk about? We had a totally different perspective of her. Because it was like, I mean, she did talk about the fact that, you know, she called the police and said that her boyfriend, you know, John did it and everything and then when they didn't believe her she said well i helped him but she always played like the innocent victim you know it's like when i tried to change my story they wouldn't let me and they wouldn't listen to me and all this other stuff so i got a different perspective we got a different perspective talking to keith but that was one of my reasons for reaching out to him it was like, you know, I kind of want to know this whole story because I've heard her version. What's your version? But my whole thing with Laverne Pavernak and, and the cops even mm-hmm. listened to her in the first place is this nut job calls John's yeah. P.O. for everything. Like like if somebody trips on the street, yeah, she's calling and going, yeah. dude, John, John pushed him. It was John. 
you know. Yeah. So then yeah, all of a sudden she's going murder, and you know, yeah. and they're all, oh no, that's that's legit. I think she's telling the truth this time. That's ridiculous. Yeah, and you know, and the fact that Keith says that you know they're trying to you know the some of the law enforcement and people who were involved in that whole thing are like try, tried to lay the blame at her feet that she was a criminal mastermind. I'm like, uh, no, she wasn't. I know her personally, and she was not that. She ain't masterminding. All. She can't even mastermind herself, for God's <laughs> sakes. There, I mean, I she didn't have the wherewithal to be that big, ornate of a planner, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a very interesting case. Yeah. I have quite a few more people to interview on law enforcement side along with the prosecutor, and the sitting judge is still on the bench, so I'll be talking to him. Lipscomb? But, um, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm. I didn't know he was still on yeah. the bench. Um, yeah, but, yeah, because there's, like, like I, well, and like I told Keith, it's like a lot of people who aren't in this area don't understand how convoluted that whole case was. You know? Yeah. And everything. And when you do kind of look at the perspective of it, it's like, how did uh-huh. she have so much inside knowledge? But the only explanation could be that, you know, they were feeding it to her. You know? We'll, well be able to solve this case. They did it to Keith, too. Huh? They did it to Keith, too. Right. They did it to Keith, too. He was also fed... Um, information you can read it in the transcripts it's not something where you have to take someone's word for it and um you know there's some things i can't talk about with it because i'm still interviewing people but you know it's not a done deal as far as you know Lisa admitted to it and those people were released there's still a lot of questions like you were saying it's a very convoluted case right. and i don't think it's uh, completely um, no documented yet what actually happened and yeah. that's what I'm trying to find out as a writer otherwise um, I don't know if I'm going to pursue the book or not unless I can find out some more information but I'm hearing two totally different stories right now right. from law enforcement and SMP so I don't know I don't know what's going to happen it's really fascinating Tammy, that you knew Laverne yeah and there's a real bummer of the whole thing is that both she and John are gone. Yeah, Scott so said that him. too. Scott said that, how dare she have the nerve it's, to die before I get to talk to her. And it's rude. She died before I get her on the show. How, but, how yeah. inconsiderate can you be to, but to die before I can get you on the damn show? Yeah, it's it's kind of hard well, to I get think into. Well, her daughter's still alive. Uh, you know what? I wonder. Because it's kind of hard to get into, you know, what she was like in prison with people who don't understand the case. You know, so for me to talk about it and say, okay, you kind of have to understand the case to understand what I'm saying. You know? Uh-huh. But, but yeah. I yeah, was, there were so many things yeah, about it. I was, in, so I was in prison with her and it was really an interesting mm-hmm. perspective to have on it. You know? Wow. So. I may have to interview you separately then, Because <laughs> I continue to... Uh, <laughs> Delve into this book with that. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I have a, I have a map of that part of the country, showing where she was. Another right. body that he killed was put nearby. But the map is amazing. He right. drew it by hand. Right. Memory. Yeah. So the map is about seventeen by twenty inches, all done in colored pencil. Wow. <laughs> that he drew. Yeah, and he's explaining in his drawings that this is where he was, this is where they were, this is where the body was. It's an amazing, uh, amazing um, thing yeah. that he drew and sent to me. Because so, I, I remember, 
I remember the day she was released. Um, and every, okay. the day Laverne was released and everything and how it was this, you know, she was like, it's this big deal and everything. But you see, this is the, this is the bizarre part. And we brought this up with Keith also, is that uh-huh. Uh-huh. she told people that while she was going to court and stuff, they, Keith wrote a thing on a stall in a truck stop and signed it with a happy face, you know? And everything, mm-hmm. and come to find out from Keith, no, he did like write out on the stall is I commit, you know, I killed Tanya Bennett, and two other people got in trouble for it. But he never signed it with a smiley face. He never did all that. Nope, you know, didn't. so you he hear like the name Tanya. Yeah, <laughs> he's named Sonia. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he said too. He goes, I thought her name was Sonia, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. you know. But mm-hmm. yeah, so like I said, there, you get like this skewed version when you were talking when I was talking to her before you know mm-hmm. because um it's just Do you think really she did it um I don't think she did it at all you know because I don't think she was capable of something like you know what I mean had the thought process on how to carry it out and how to dispose of blah 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 you know mm-hmm. I never did talk mm-hmm. to John but from my understanding, he was even a little bit more denser than she was. Mm-hmm. You know, when it came to like stuff like that, that I don't think that, you know, there'd be more out there and Keith, you know, Keith wouldn't be like, they would have been able to prove Keith didn't. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. Well, there's, um, because the case is uh, so old and it's been on the books for so long, I am going through the processes of getting all of the. Right. The uh, material from the court case released to the Freedom of Information as much as I can because I need to hear the original for right. myself. Exactly. That's exactly. Where I am right now with it. So I have no opinion one way or the other. All right. I know is that Keith asked if I would be interested in doing the book and telling the true story of what happened. And when you hear about these two people in prison for six years, <clears throat> yeah, at first you're like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <coughs> Yeah, yeah, because it's like really, like I said, it's very convoluted case, but um, that -hmm. was, it's always been one that I've been interested in, you know. Well, you should pursue it as well. Well, we kind of are. I haven't had a lot of time lately because of, um, we've been busy doing other, you know, launching other things, but um, I also wanted to, I mean, what got me fascinated because I kind of touched on it earlier is the the serial killer here in Oregon that I had contact with before his name mm-hmm. was Cesar Barone and I had always wanted to because I knew him before that mm-hmm. is I've always wanted to write a book about him you know unfortunately he passed away too so I can't really interview him right now but um yeah it's always been something I've wanted to do is write a book a true crime book so you know Oh, he died waiting execution in 2009. He, he did. And on his deathbed, because um, he died of cancer, on his deathbed, the officers from Washington County, which I know them personally, too, happened to, w- went down there to try to get him to admit that he killed his mother-in-law. And the first thing out of his mouth when they asked him, he goes, I want an attorney. I'm like, dude, seriously, you're going to die. <laughs> you know, why can't you just come forth and say it? It's not like they can charge you with anything now. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah, and what got me was the fact that 
he had two different lives as a killer, you know, because he was a killer down in Florida, and then he did it up here. So, you know, did I, did we lose our well, No, no, no. Okay, so, I, I got what? silent on my end for a second, so. <laughs> <laughs> no. So let's wrap this one here up for right now. Man, Briar, it has been a true joy to it talk to you, man. This been. has been one of the better calls that, that we've had from, from people. And yep. make sure everybody checks out uh, her book, Sarah Killers, here and now, and her no, other then books. then and now. Then and now, Jesus Christ. And that's available on Amazon, right? It's available, yeah, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the outlets. It's okay. single, it's also print, and the Audible version should be out in about a week, week and a half at the most. Okay, Sweet. Scott's waiting for the Audible version. I'm chomping at the bit because yeah. you teased me with it. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah, I I strongly recommend reading it. I mean, because I want to get it too, but I have to, like, I have to find a book because I cannot turn a page on a Kindle. It's just not the same as a oh, no, real print. book, you know? It's, it's print. Okay, it's cool. Print. Yeah, so it's yeah. something I'm, it's, I'm really interested in reading. It's about 86,000 words, so the book's about two and a half, three inches thick. Oh, okay. And it covers a lot of different things. You know, the then and now is I reference the crimes, but you're right. hearing from them now, who they are now, what they want you to know about them now. Right. And yeah, some of them talk about their aberrant personality. Some of them talk about their crimes. Others of them talk about just, <clears throat> you know, their day-to-day life and what they would like you to know about them. And I think that you're going to be very surprised to hear right. what uh, some of these things are these uh, killers have to share with you. So I'm hoping that you guys uh, look up the book and have fun with it. Of course. I and I recommend it to anybody on the show. true crime because, you know, to know something like that now, you know, the, the now part mm-hmm. of it, that's something that mm-hmm. a lot of people don't get by reading news articles, you know. Very, very true. So I'm hoping people enjoy that part of it and that that it's about people, these killers, just sharing with you who they are and what they want. Exactly. Exactly. And thank you for having me on your show. This is fun. Thanks for coming on, Briar. I'll tell you what. You have an open invite to come on the show anytime you want. It has actually been a lot of fun. I love that. Anytime oh, you want to come back well, and talk well, to us, because you know? well, because normally when, oh. when when we're not interviewing a serial killer, normally I I, I tell uh, Tammy let's do it a half hour to an hour tops. We're at seventy seven minutes. Holy and cow! I'm like this is just an amazingly <laughs> awesome call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll have to do it again then when I get some more information and then you guys get copies of the book because you might have more questions after you do that. And then oh, we'll go from there, but I yeah. had a huge amount of fun. I'm sure oh, I'm sure so. we'll have a ton of questions. Hell yeah. <laughs> Give your fur babies a big hug and kiss from me too, because I love fur babies. He does. He loves I furries. I will. <laughs> All right, Briar, you take care. Yeah. <laughs> you bye have bye. a good day. I talk to you guys later. All right. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Oh man, that was a really super good this is longer Dude. than our normal calls. Right. And yeah, because first of all, she's not timed to 30 minutes. But that at helps. The, at the same time, though, it's like she had so much to say and it was so engaging. And I mean, I was like, I wanted to hear more. She's freaking hilarious. She, I, she is hilarious. I love Briar. She's yeah. just. And I am I am a little mad, though, because out of all the serial killers I've talked to and written to, I've, I have not gotten one. Patrick could have offered me marriage. I'm just saying. <laughs> 
I haven't gotten one marriage proposal, and damn it, I wanted one from Patrick. <laughs> I'm just saying, Patrick, if you hear this, baby. You, are you sure you didn't want one from, you don't want one from Hamolka? That fucking <laughs> hope she fucking falls off the face of the earth. <laughs> Spontaneously combusts? <laughs> yes. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't marry her if she was the last woman on the planet, but Patrick, yeah, yeah. Patrick if you ask me to marry you... <laughs> I'm going to have to say yes. I, I will say yes today. I'm gay. I won't even hesitate. <laughs> I will become gay really fast for Patrick Kearney. You know what? You know what's also funny is the whole time we were talking to Briar, I kept thinking, damn it, I wish Otis and Tool, Beavis and Butthead were still alive because I'm sure she would interview them too. <laughs> that would have been oh my epic. Goodness. Epic. That would have been so epic. But could you imagine what they would say? I, no, because well, nobody I can. Well, I can imagine Henry Lee, Lucas, would have been more forthcoming because, from my understanding, he was kind of like Berkowitz and stuff and found religion in prison. Oh, okay, yeah. You know sense, what I mean? Yeah. But I can't see Tool being as articulate and... Um, <laughs> no shit. <laughs> for, you know, like, forward in nature to, like, come forward and talk about what he did. In right, a forthcoming. Serious man. Yeah, forthcoming. Thank you. Um to talk about it in a serious manner. I agree. You know, but she, I, he I, probably would have given her the recipe we want. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, for a human barbecue That's sauce. That's right, because it's finger eating good. <laughs> finger licking good? Uh, finger eating good. Yeah. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Also, make sure that you check out Citizens of Brutal Nation on Facebook. That's right. And our Etsy account, which I think is under TB Enterprises. It is. And there'll be a link in the description for all of this. So, yeah. Here's a secret. TB stands for Twisted Blue. Just so you know. Just so you know. Shh, don't tell. <laughs> secret, secret. I've got a secret. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My God. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. And remember, if you're hearing this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying, thieving bastards. And yeah. we will see you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody.